This morning on the way to church, I called my parents in England, as I sometimes do, and it's lunchtime there, and they're back from St. Peter's in Thurlow, if there is a a service, and I asked my father how it was and what was going on. He said, well, we had, uh, we read from Luke chapter 4, pretty harmless stuff. I said, what, really, what did the rector say about it? He said, that was pretty harmless stuff too. Uh, good, very good. I said, but what did he say? He said, well, you know, he talked around the gospel, but it was good. I mean, no help whatsoever, you know. <laughs> the, the reality is that usually when Jesus speaks, it's going to it's going to be harmful if, in some way, at least to some of our normal ways of operating, if we listen, it's not really going to be harmless stuff at all, if you mean by that, leaving things in the status quo. Have you ever wanted to get back at someone for something they've done to you? Has anyone ever gossiped about you? Has anyone ever threatened your job or your livelihood, tried to seduce your spouse or your partner? got ahead of you by cheating or lying? Have you ever just wanted life to be fair and been mad that it's not? Well, then you have something in common with the aggrieved throughout the world and down the ages, and not least among the people of Israel, for whom good news was often understood to be about the rich and the powerful and the wrongdoers getting what was coming to them, and the poor and the innocent being lifted up and receiving their reward. Well, today, in a week in which the president has taken a new oath of office, we have what is, in effect, Jesus' inaugural address. He's been baptized, he's been tested in the wilderness, and this is the beginning of his public ministry, according to Luke, and he reads aloud in the synagogue at Nazareth. And what today might be called his mission statement comes mostly from Isaiah chapter 61. He will bring good news to the poor, he will bring sight to the blind, He will release the captives, and he will uh, give freedom to the oppressed, and of course he will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What he said is significant, but also what he didn't say. We know about Isaiah 61, we read a lot at funerals, and what he left out, where he stopped before he talked about the day of vengeance of our God. In Jesus' version of the good news, vengeance is off the table. Vengeance is off limits. Instead, he proclaims the loud and clear year of the Lord's favor. Vengeance and the business of vengeance and all that is entailed in vengeance is key to what needs undoing in human affairs, for it's part of the pattern of blaming and and violence and using power to belittle people and make them less than they are and punish them and create scapegoats for all the wrongs we feel justify our sense of grievance. You all know how it works. When we believe someone has done us wrong, at our best, we want them to know they've done us wrong, and we want them to experience some kind of consequence. Their repentance and begging for our forgiveness is a pretty good start. But barring that, what we want really is for them to experience some inconvenience, or if we're honest, we really want to experience some pain that will perhaps make them think twice before hurting us ever again. It's really hard. It's really hard to keep our anger and our violent tendencies in check. It's really hard not to let our sense of grievance lead us to really want a measure of revenge and the power to punish someone who's hurt us in some way, even if it's only hurt our pride or our feelings. And we recognize this deep 
human reality when, as a society, we say we can't take the law into our own hands. If there are to be consequences or punishment, they must be carried out somewhat impartially to avoid a kind of cruel vengeance. Our law codes include some notion of retributive justice by which there can be damages, for example, for wrongdoing, damages awarded. Even the ancient law of Israel recognized this need for human tendencies to vengeance to be managed or constrained. And so in the law of Moses, he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It sounds draconian, but it's actually pretty liberal because what's going on, he's saying only an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You may not, if someone's offended, you go wipe out the whole family, even though you might like the feeling that you could. It's not okay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It echoes throughout Scripture over and over, Old and New Testaments, as a way of prohibiting humans, us, from the degrading, destructive nursing of grievance and imagining vengeance. Jesus takes vengeance with all its ugliness and jealousy and violence off the table when he spells out the good news. His program renders all the ways in which we seek to govern and dominate and control and manipulate each other impotent. And he replaces it with such things as clarity and meaning and transparency, and honesty, and integrity as the way of abundant life. That's what brings sight to the blind, release to the captives, freedom for the oppressed, and good news for the poor. It was that sort of thing that got him killed. wasn't harmless at all. The law, the graceful gift of the law, that was about identity, it was about creating a people, had become a burden. He always supported the law said he came to fulfill it, but he undermined and challenged what had, the, the oral tradition of case law that had grown up. Think about when he's, his disciples are being criticized for picking corn on the Sabbath, and he says, that is just ridiculous. You've missed the point. It's not about oppressing people and managing and governing their every little thing. It's about the Sabbath being made for people, for us, and not the other way around. And this power struggle with the authorities ultimately got him killed. It ultimately became something that itself had to be managed. And when the veil of the temple was torn in two at his death, one of the things unveiled were all of the mechanisms of violence by which we govern so many of our affairs. So he takes vengeance off the table good. But how are we supposed to deal with the feelings, with the anger, with the hurt? I'm not exhibit A on how to do this, or at least not how to do it well. The let go and let God, we're told by some. Or you must find a way to forgive, or the perp will continue to have power over you. Why are you still giving that so-and-so the time of day? It's simply not worth it. This kind of advice is not altogether wrong, and it's not altogether unhelpful, but it's just not immediate. I can't do this forgiving business like the turn of a switch, at least not very often. But if we don't somehow and really address our real feelings, then they're going to come out in some way. They'll either turn inward, as cancer and come out as cancer or depression 
Our feelings will certainly metaphorically and possibly literally eat us alive. Or if we let him out, you know, the gestalt therapy thing, let it out. We simply give free reign to expressing our anger, then as often as not, it'll get displaced and someone will get hurt. You know how it works. You have a bad day at the office. This happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. You get home and the cat gets it, you know. It's displaced anger. Or have you seen the look on a child's face when her mother or father explodes over some minor infraction? So our anger gets destructive if we don't address it. There's no simple answer. Hundreds of programs about anger management are all about containing this, this destructive possibility, but they don't seem to help us get to Jesus' vision of life without vengeance. Now, what works best for me and, and helps me move through it as more quickly at some times rather than others is remembering and getting clear again about who I am before God and remembering what really matters in life. And that sometimes helps me let go of things that don't matter so much. We pray to God. What, what helps me is making sure that I repent of wrongdoing when I recognize it and apologize to those who I have hurt and then remember I'm a beloved child of God and then move on. We pray to God in the marriage service for the couple saying, help them when they hurt each other. It's going to happen. Help them recognize their fault and seek each other's forgiveness and also yours. So one thing we can do when we get this hurt, angry feeling is get clear about what we have done. And once we've asked for forgiveness, then we can go about our lives. And we can go about our lives with our heads held high, whatever anybody else might think of us, in the assurance that God loves us. And for me, that's something I remember every week when we gather for worship around the Lord's table. I pass the peace. We all pass the peace. And I do it knowing that however broken I may believe some of my relationships to be, I really do and most fundamentally wish everyone, not just the people I see, but everyone, the very best that God can bring that person. That's what the peace is. It's a prayer. I want the best for you. I want what happens when God is present. I want you to be whole and healed and filled with love and overflowing with grace in your lives. And that's something I can say, even when everything is not perfect, I can say, I want that, even for people who I think have hurt me. And I also go to the table mindful of the word that says we can eat and drink to our own condemnation if we're not, not careful, and that we should do what we can to sort out our differences before approaching the throne of grace. But I approach knowing that there is a future dimension to the grace of communion. It's not just a memorial. It's not just an action that we're doing now. It is the first fruits of a promise that even though everything is not perfect in our time and at this day, they will be. It's the promise that God is working God's purpose out. The ways in which we tell and enact the story of what really matters around the table are the most helpful things I can do to set aside vengeance and anger and hurt and live into the good news that Jesus promised. Think about it. It's through worship that we find grace to see ourselves and others more clearly than we see when we're bound up with anger. It's in that seeing, as our blindness is uh, our sight is restored and blindness overcome, it's in that seeing over time that we are released from captivity, being captive to our negative feelings. 
And so we discover the good news as the poverty of our own emotional responses ceasing to define the limits of what is possible for us. Good news cannot be about perpetuating violence through managing our anger and seeking revenge. Good news is when our eyes are opened, when we who are oppressed by our own stuff are freed, and when we who are captive to these little responses are released. That is grace. That is good news for all of us, even for us in our anger. As we consider Jesus' program and promise, let us respond in silence and in gratitude, knowing that there is good news for us, even in the midst of brokenness. In silence, let us pray.